Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to HealWithBob.com. Welcome, everyone, in my listening family. I'm back today with part two of an interview with Richard Groves, who yesterday shared with us some amazing stories of healing coming out of a tradition from the Middle Ages and the work that Richard is doing now. So, Richard, welcome back to interview part two. Thank you, Bob. Today, I was hoping that we could explore a little bit about uh, some of the teachings and teachers who have had the most impact in the work that you are doing and have been doing for so long. Right. So uh, uh, yesterday we talked a little bit about uh, uh, Dame Dr. Cecily Saunders and her um, sort of incredible vision uh, to recreate palliative medicine for uh, uh, the modern world. And um, she's probably one of the few people I know who was able to see her vision come to fruition in her own lifetime. She's passed on now, but by the time she died, there were there were thousands and thousands of hospices all over the world, which, you know, a generation ago, uh, that, that was unknown work. So certainly I, I always like to give credit uh, to, uh, to stand on the shoulders of someone like that and her encouragement to, to Mary and I, especially to look at that Ars Moriendi, that medieval monastic tradition. But there are, are um, a few other teachers that I, I would say have been a huge influence um, in this work along the way. Uh, one, a spiritual teacher who I've just uh, personally um, uh, am grateful to have been associated with for many, many years, uh, Richard Rohr is a, a Franciscan priest out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, a voluminous writer and teacher. And uh, uh, I think another one of those uh, inter-spiritual, interfaith teachers who is very grounded in his tradition and yet has managed to take the tradition and open it up in, in fresh and new ways. So I think Richard, probably more than anyone else, gave me as a, someone raised a, in the Catholic tradition and ordained a Catholic priest, he gave me permission to explore outside of the boundaries of, of institutional um, theology and to see um, that the mystical dimension uh, to our tradition often, often has far more in common with every other major spiritual tradition. So it's what we have in common rather than what separates us. I think that's been one of Richard Rohr's drumbeats. And so I've really appreciated uh, his work and, and his teaching, and he's still around and <clears throat> very influential. Another person um, uh, of blessed memory, uh, Rabbi Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, uh, is a Polish uh, rabbi in some ways, I guess, the founder of the Jewish renewal movement, which was a movement to free 
uh, Judaism from um, sometimes, like in all of our traditions, uh, the bondage of its more narrow or legalistic understanding, and, and to open it up uh, in its mystical ways. And Reb Zalman's book, From Aging to Saging, I think was one of the brilliant books of the 20th century. Um, he, uh, he died in his 90s, and, and as he aged, he began to encourage all of us in my generation to begin to do our November and December work and, um, and the work of uh, forgiveness. And again, it's rooted very much in, in his uh, um, uh, Jewish tradition, but he opens it up in such a way that is um, inclusive and accessible to, to everyone. And we're just on the eve of uh, Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish holidays. And I always think so much of, of Reb Zalman at this, uh, this time of the year. And then a, a third person I'd mention is Parker Palmer. And, and Parker is a uh, been an amazing force um, in, um, I'd say, the translation of spirituality, not only in North America, but in many places around the world. Uh, Parker comes out of a, a profoundly deep Quaker tradition, and um, he took some of its principles and uh, created uh, programs um, that are, are based on sitting together in circles of trust, without hierarchy, without authority, where people with a little bit of a structure are taught to trust their inner light, their own inner teacher. He brought that work first to public schools, uh, teachers around uh, the country. Then he brought it to uh, ministers and now to healthcare workers. And Parker's, I think, in his 80s now, and again, a, a voluminous writer and teacher, but uh, it's been an association that um, our work at Sacred Art Living Center has had with his Center for Courage and Renewal over the years that gave us uh, a permission to use some of his tools called Circles of Trust. And so our teachings are not just top-down lectures. They're profoundly experiential, where you drop an important teaching there for people to reflect on, meditate on, and then notice how out of that emerges often some brilliant wisdom that people didn't think they had within themselves. And uh, he talks a lot about uh, how in, in our human experience, his language for soul pain is that we often sit in a tragic gap. Life's tragic gaps are the difference between the way I would like life to be and the way it is. And that when we learn how to be with a tragic gap, uh, and hold steady in that suffering, what often begins to emerge is a third way, a way that my brain wouldn't have come to. Um, I think great healers know about this. They may not use this language, but you know, you sit in front of a dilemma and you're not going to solve it with this or that. There, there's another kind of mix that shows up, often inspired by, call it what you want, grace or whatever, something higher, that works through us in that moment when soul is touching soul. So I, I think Parker's work would be on the list of profound teachers as well. And then I just would have to mention um, one of the places that I was uh, fortunate to teach in uh, was India. Uh, and uh, we taught our courses down in Chennai, uh, down in the Southern part of, of India. And uh, once again, it's a story of, of someone, a student who came to, to one of these lectures in a huge lecture hall with 
hundreds of people. And uh, the mix of students was very diverse. Uh, they were nurses and doctors and students. They were Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians. And, you know, I'd say the majority were Hindus. And there was a man who came in and they pointed out to me that this, this was someone I should know. I should get to know that I should feel very honored that he was in this class, that he was part of a lineage, uh, a Hindu lineage called the art of dying lineage. And that his teacher who had passed on, I think in the 19th century, had brought forward this amazing book of insights and wisdom around how to be with people at the end of life. And uh, it tapped into the wisdom of the Vedas uh, and so forth, but there were also um, practices, healing practices that were more contemporary. So anyway, uh, this man sat there very respectfully during this several day lecture workshop. And uh, when it was over, uh, everybody left the room and I was really hoping I, I'd catch his eye and he was waiting and he, he came up at the end and he said, you know, um, I want to tell you what this has done for me. I said, what's that? He says, see this book of yours? He says, I have to write this book for India. He says, I have to write The Art of Living and Dying for India and for Hindus around the world. And I'm wondering if I do this, would you write the testimony for it? <laughs> I said, well, gosh, I would, of course, be honored. So he did. And the name of the book in English in, in North America is called, uh, I got a kick out of this, Life's Final Exam. <laughs> and uh, in it, he, he winds together um, all of these beautiful teachings from his lineage. And uh, he brings them forward in a way so that the modern Hindu practitioner, especially those who are maybe very divorced from their culture, can still tap into and use their wisdom. And, you know, he gives reference and credit to the Ars Moriendi and again says, it's amazing how something was going on back there a thousand years ago. There was some kind of, in the, the, the Weltgeist, the, 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 the spirit of the time of the world that emerged. Um, and um, so I, I think when I think of teachers, I think not only of those who I've been a student to, but I think when I show up in some part of the world to teach, that I'm not just giving wisdom one way. How often in that part of the world that I know nothing about, what shows up is some amazing um, wisdom that uh, yeah, I love to, to weave those stories in as well. What, what, of course, comes to my mind when you talk about taking this into the East is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Have you kind of looked at that book with an eye toward exploring what's similar and what's different in the, the teachings that you're sharing? Yeah, we, we teach a four-part course called The Art of Living and Dying. And uh, each of those four parts, uh, it's a two-year course, explores <clears throat> the comparison between the Ars Moriendi and the great books of living and dead. And the Tibetan Book of Living and Dead is certainly one of them. But there are others. There's the Egyptian Book of Living and Dying. And uh, so um, that one in particular, though, um, I, could, I, I wish I had another hour now to share with you because um, 
written obviously in an entirely different time, century, culture, theology, than the Celtic book of living and dying. But the parallels would just absolutely blow you apart. Can I, tell, can I offer two? Please. How, how could this be possible? I, I thought when I first got exposed to this, it just excited me. And it's, it's why I knew I had to be a, an apostle of this uh, tradition in some ways. So in both of those traditions, the Celtic Book of Living and Dying, it's in formation somewhere from the 6th to the 11th century. And the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which is, of course, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is, is so known in the mountainous regions of that part of Asia and has become popularized. There are these two parallels. One is that in both traditions, and I'll use Western language now, you'd have to translate it. The soul knows 28 days before its death that its time of great bardo or transition is coming. Hmm. 28 days, four, four weeks, one month, one lunar cycle before the soul knows. In both those traditions, whether it's going to be an accidental death or whether you're an old person and you're dying a long uh, terminal illness, doesn't matter. And I thought, now, how did they, first of all, how would you know that? How would you prove that? And of course, what we've done is we've run that out now. We've been teaching it to thousands of people around the world. And we have collected our own book of stories of people who said, you know, I can't believe it. I go back on the calendar, 28 days. And by gosh, I got that call from my father in Florida who said, you know, I don't know. I just, I think you need to come and see me. It, it's been amazing uh, to watch uh, the validation of that. So however, in mysterious ways, the other part that is equally, if not more mysterious, is that in both traditions, there's a, there's a rite of passage afterwards, after the great Bardo in the Tibetan book or the great Acha, as it's called in the Celtic book, for 49 days, seven times seven days, seven full weeks, there is um, an obligatory practice where your soul friend, your Anamkara, agrees to journey with you in this bardo time of transition until the 50th day. And in both traditions, it's the number 50. How it's amazing to me when there is this uh, cycle of completion. Now I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, the person is dead. They're not using chronological time. So, so how, how does it, I don't know how this works. I, it's not about that. In both cases, it's very mysterious, but it's, uh, it's something that shows up profoundly because it really says that the work of accompanying a person in transition times does not end with the last breath. In fact, that's when the real work really begins. And that uh, uh, the, the, the next seven weeks, it's like in ancient wisdom cultures, if you were the, the soul friend who was going to do this work, you would stop everything. You would not go back to work during that time. You would absolutely be in communion with this transition. And uh, it was interesting because I was in Thailand during... Uh, after my wife's death, and it was the 50th day of her transition. And uh, in this Buddha, they held a ceremony for my wife's uh, 50th day. And I'll never forget going down to the river with the lamp 
And um, I, I just, to this day, it just, it just uh, was one of the most profound celebrations to think that there was some kind of global wisdom here. And then I thought about Mary and myself coming out of a Judeo-Christian tradition that the 50th day in, in the Hebrew tradition is the day of Pentecost, the day of the liberation of spirit. And I thought, I'm not trying to mush all these traditions together. I'm just saying, I think there are things like that that are hard to explain, <laughs> uh, those parallels. That is just amazing, the, those parallels. I, I can't even imagine how you would explain that. Um, I, I do have a question about this commonality that you found. And that is the context of the belief about the afterlife. In other words, people in different traditions, religious and spiritual traditions all over the world, have varying ideas about what, what lies ahead of us in the afterworld. And yet somehow this process we're finding as similar. Do you, do you ever think about that or, or come yeah, to any conclusions? <laughs> How could you not? I, I think the, the person I, I would cite on this, if you know Charlie Tart, Charles Tart at UCAL Davis, yes. has spent uh -huh. his life studying near-death experiences. And um, I love his answer because he's a scientist, right? He's not approaching this from the point of view of theology or belief. And they said, Charlie, 40 years you've been studying this. What do you believe? You, Charlie, happens after you die. And in his sort of... Uh, geekish kind of ways, the scientist that he is, he says, you know, number one, I won't be surprised if after I die, I regain consciousness. But number two, I will be surprised if after I die, I regain consciousness. <laughs> in other words, I, in the sense of who this I-ness of me is so conditioned by my incarnation and um, that is beyond what I can comprehend. So that was, that was an interesting conclusion, studying near-death experiences of people who sometimes saw the light and sometimes saw Jesus and sometimes saw whatever they see, often probably maybe formed or influenced by their, their culture. Why wouldn't that be the case? That, that whatever is most comforting to them, those angels would be showing up for them. But... Um, and I realize this is heresy if you're coming out of a very fundamentalist perspective, but, but I, I just, uh, I, I'm afraid I've been at the bedside of too many people, including people who claim no belief whatsoever, to, to think that there is something universal going on here. And I don't think we'll prove it scientifically, but I think the stories and the patterns in ancient wisdom culture can give us a bit of insight and, and comfort. And uh, so... Yeah, that, that's where I'd leave it. Uh, I, I haven't been there, so I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, yet, to be, yet to be determined. And that is a perfect spot for us to end our second interview. So Richard Groves, thank you so much for being with us in this part of our series together. You're welcome, Bob. It was my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back, through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to 
HealWithBob.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.